This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, ASTE 2023, sponsored by Dorman Training this year. Glad to have Dorman uh, as a partner. They, they sponsor our Aftermarket Weekly Show. I call Malin, I call Marianne, and I says, you got any time while you're at ASTE? And they said, yes, we do. So we worked out a time. They're here in the studio. And I have this curious burning question that I said, could you come in and talk to our great listener about how you kind of get started with coaching? Apprehensions, I want to do this. What's the relationship with a coach like? What first things are first? Are there assessments? And Because I think there's a lot of people out there, Marianne, Malin, that want to do coaching, but they're not even sure what it's like. They might not even ask a buddy who's with a coach because they don't want to, a lot of people don't want to expose what they're thinking, what their needs are. Oh, so you finally want to have a coach. Isn't that nice? I've been telling you that for years. This is a buddy to buddy, peer to peer. And because they're a little bashful to really admit it. So for all of those that are bashful not to talk to their peers about coaching, we're going to give you that little bit of a dialogue here. Your shop's future is in your hands. Accomplish more by starting now. That's the motto of Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care exclusively endorsed vendor. RSOT is helping shops all over the nation run a more profitable business by utilizing best practice marketing and coaching. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? Call 440-545-1230 for a free 20-minute no-obligation consultation. Malin Newton's with us from ESISeminars.com. Hello, Malin. Hi, Carm. Thanks for having us. I've known you for maybe the first year that we, I was starting right. to podcast. We met each other in Detroit. That's, oh my God. Well, can I tell the story? Yes. Uh, let me introduce Marianne first. Marianne Croce, smallbizvantage.com. I've been on the show a lot. We just recently did one on conference return on investment. It was a great show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It was Detroit. I just started to podcast 2015. On the big stage was Bob Greenwood and Malin Newton. I loved what you guys did. Behind the scenes was you've never done anything like that before. I'm not even sure you knew each other, but you got up and you were co-hosts of this particular event. And I'm looking for people to interview. I was so impressed with your back and forth, your dialogue and the stuff that you brought to the seminar. So you both come down off stage, left, stage, right. And people are starting to come around you. They want to either give you their business cards or find out more stuff. And I kept saying, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. And who am I going to go and talk to? And so the Mo was you. So I get in line, give you my card, say hello to you. And I keep looking over at Greenwood and says, do I have enough time to get through the line to see Malin and then go see Bob? And Bob had already left. And I said, D, the day after I get on the elevator to come down the hotel and Greenwood's on the elevator. <laughs> You've all heard of the great elevator pitch, right? <laughs> that you have to have. Yeah. I got a business card. I always carry them in my right front pocket. I gave Bob my business card, did the elevator speech coming down. And Bob, just like you and I, we became really good friends, wine, dinner together, met his wife. And of course we lost Bob a few years back. And we did some private podcasts with and for Bob back then. Thank you for that reminder. No problem. And you remember that Detroit trip was right after my stroke. That was the first big event I had done. And I met Bob that morning for breakfast. We had talked on the phone. I never met the man. So I'm in the hotel because I was freshly out of the hospital. My son came with me. My son-in-law came with me. You talk about handlers to make sure I stayed yeah, upright. Yeah. And Bob and I had breakfast and we just chit-chatted. We had talked on the phone several times, but everything that happened on that stage, in my opinion, was 
two people's burning desire to help the industry. Yeah. Not themselves, no ego here, just the desire to help everybody in that room. There were several hundred people in that room grow their businesses. And that came across because I had a lot of people come to me and go, how many times have you guys done this this time? Yeah. That's impossible because there was a chemistry. I felt it. He felt it. It's one of those rare occasions. What I heard you guys do there solidified what I was attempting to do as a podcaster. Someone said to me the other day, Carm's the godfather of the aftermarket podcasts. And I keep saying I was the premier, but it's interesting to think that the vision that I had that many years ago to bottle up Malin, to bottle up Bob and the clients that you have and all these great shop owners to tell their wisdom that I went from zero to hero. How'd you do it? And then, of course, it grew. We interviewing authors. We just did an incredible episode on grief, managing grief. Guys, I got to tell you, Jacques Brokaw, who was on, I mean, he just did a great job. I learned things that I just didn't know. I'm in the studio with Jacques. I'm so enamored in what his teachings were. I lost track of where I was going to go with the episode. It was that good. Please, this is part of our lives. We lose a job. We lose a loved one. We hear about cancer diagnoses. That episode will help you. Anyway, so here's what I want to find out. When do you know, here I am, I think I call Malin, I call Marianne and the myriad of other coaches in our industry and the coach get, hey, thanks for calling. Where'd you find out about me? Great. Tell me about your business. How do you know when they're ready? Yeah, it's a great phone call because when someone makes that call, you know that they're thinking about change. They're thinking about something in their business, something in their life that needs to change. The conversation is the first place to start for me. And In that conversation, I'll ask three why questions. And those questions that will come up is why coaching? They'll talk about maybe coaching or something that they've done before. It may not have been coaching and why they think that this is something that they want to do. And then I'll ask them, why me? Because as you said, there are other coaches in the industry. So what is it about me that's resonating with them? And then the last why question during this conversation is why now? And that is a really powerful question because usually something will come up that's happening. People make change in their life for a couple of different reasons. It's usually gain or it's pain. And most of the time I find that even behind any gain that they talk about, like I want to increase profits or I want to do something different, there's a little bit of pain there. Maybe I'm not home enough with my family or the business seems like it's really consuming me, things like that. So that's the first place that I would start. As a coach, when you hear those answers coming at you, can you find out if this client's going to be really a good student of yours? Yeah, it's telling because, you know, when you ask them why coaching, they'll talk to you about what they've done, or they'll even talk to you about some of their expectations. And it's funny because it's, I use this kind of a story as like an analogy. You can get really excited that you want to lose weight and it's the new year and you go out and you buy yourself a treadmill and that's like a great feeling, but you have to get on the treadmill. Just because you bought the treadmill doesn't mean you're going to lose the weight. You have to do the work. It's like that with coaching too. Just because you hire a coach doesn't mean everything is going to be fixed. Wait a minute. I have a treadmill in the basement of my house. (laughs) Could I call it Malin? Probably not. Because I would be the treadmill that woke you up and said, Ah, get on me. Yeah. Right? Walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk. Start walking. To me, that's one of the major questions. Marianne brings up great points. Why do you want to change? Why now? But it really boils down to one very important factor. 
Carm, are you ready to do the difficult things? To get up at 5 a.m. and get on the treadmill, right? To use Mary, Marianne's analogy. Yeah. Are you ready to do this? I'll be honest with you, Carm. I'm working with a client right now that I am the fifth coach. You know what the difference between myself and the four other coaches is? I call myself water over granite. I'm going to wear you out till you do what I ask. And we're going to talk about it every time we talk, whether it be once a week or once a day, because the information is power statement. Yeah. It's not true. It's implementation. And when you hire a coach, you get information. But if you don't implement it, you're wasting money and time. Yeah. That's one of the things I want to find out pretty early. Are you willing to do the difficult things that are necessary to make those changes? Do you want to really spend time with your family? Are you ready to hire the right people to where you don't have to be at work? Can you fire some of those people that aren't doing their jobs? Can you delegate? And it's simple sometimes. I need you to delegate this job to somebody. I'll give you a week to do it. And at the end of that week, if they don't do it, we have to have the conversation. Are you serious about this? Are you serious about losing weight? Because a treadmill becomes a clothes hanger. If you don't get on it, use it, right? And that's a great analogy, actually, because that's us. Yeah, exactly right. right. We're yeah. a tool. Yeah. yeah, We're 10 millimeter rich. If you never take out of your toolbox, it's never going to do its job for you. Honestly, I'm more concerned about where you want to be. So one of my questions I ask is, tell me what the business looks like in five or 10 years. And it's like, well, I want to do $10 million in 10 years. Great. How many technicians do you have? Two. Probably not going to be able to do that in 10 years. You're going to have to grow the staff, you grow the management. But if they give me something realistic, then we can talk about the steps necessary to do it, map out progress. And before we were on air, I talked about a lady who hired me and her entire purpose of hiring me was she wanted to prepare her business to sell it. To be honest with you, when you call me and say, I want to prepare my business for selling it, I say it's a minimum of five-year process that you have to work on every week for five years. And so we started financially. She was doing well. She was making money. But she had none of the other things that makes a business sellable. She was in the business every day, both her and her husband. He was in the technical side. She was in the ownership side, running the office. They had a service writer, but he couldn't answer a question without approval. Not because of her, but because of his lack of confidence. After working with her for five years, we made a little bit of progress. And so she decided she wanted to take a break. I'm good with that. I get it. I have a tendency, and I think most coaches do have a tendency, to give you so much to do, it's overwhelming. Because we're moving, right? But, but is that a good thing to start a relationship with? Or, well, or are you just trying to put your foot on the accelerator? And It's not the first thing. This is a couple of years into this okay. five years that we have a list of things we need to accomplish. There's a ramp up. Right. Okay. In my case, first, it's making sure the financial house is ordered. It's making sure your P&L is correct. Make sure you understand it. And then we move on to what do we need to do to get you out of the day-to-day -day operation? Who do we need to hire? Who's not pulling their weight? When you look at the financials for you first, number one, I can only imagine what it takes, probably no financials, to get financials, to get an accountant on board, to then teach and learn and understand where the money goes. Right. Could that be a six, seven month process just to get that right? Well, if they have P&Ls, it takes a couple months to adjust them to where they make sense. But so they understand the levers they're going to push and pull. Right. Because they get an account, a, a P&L from an accountant, it's GAAP approved, generally accepted accounting principles, makes no sense to them because the bottom line isn't the bottom line because right. of GAAP, right? Yeah. So first we have to turn it into a cash flow statement. Right. I had a client who called me up and said, Malin, I don't understand something. My P&L says that I make $12,000 a month net profit. Where is the money? And he goes, I said, great, congratulations. He goes, 
that means I should have $120,000 in the bank for this 10 months, right? And I go, yes. He goes, I don't. Why? I had to go to his shop and go through his checkbook and his ledger to figure out that he was spending $10,000 more a month than the accountant was putting on the P&L because Whoa. of the gap rules. Really? So he was making $2,000 a month, not twelve. And I said, do you have $20,000 in bank? He goes, well, yes, I do. I said, this is why. You're making financial informa- uh, right. decisions without financial data. So that's the biggest hurdle. And then accountants, I hope there's none listening. Now, don't forget about Hunt now. He's my friend. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Hunt's, Hunt's a good guy, and I have no problem with him. I've talked to Demers. But most of the accountants, it's like, hey, we're doing it my way. Yeah. And I had one accountant. I wrote a letter and told the, the shop owner, change these things on your P&L, and if your accountant won't do it, fire him. Well, this guy turns around and sends that letter to his accountant. I get a phone call from the accountant. And I'm I, in my back of my head, I'm actually sitting on the side of the road in Northern California taking this phone call. And I'm hoping, I hope he redacted my statement, right? <laughs> so we're talking and, and he's asking me questions about how I want the P&L laid out. And he goes, that really makes sense. He goes, I never thought about it that way. He goes, do you mind if I use this idea with my other automotive clients? Oh, stop. I said, sure, go ahead and make my life easier. And then I thought, well, I better say something about that line, right? So I said, I'm really a I really apologize for the line that said, fire your account. And he goes, oh, that's not in the letter he sent me. <laughs> and gave he, <laughs> away. I gave myself away. And he laughed and he goes, but you're absolutely correct. I yeah. work for the shop. They mm-hmm. don't work for me. Yeah. So if you want it purple with green on it, yeah. I should do that. I may charge you more for it, but I'm going to do what you want. You brought up the cash flow statement. And boy, I got to tell you, as a young man, and I started to learn what that was and how important it was because it was always, you made all this money and yes, where is it? The cash flow statement, actually the balance sheets can also help you find it if you're investing in the business. You have to think of all of these financial statements too, if you're going to get any kind of loans from a bank or anything like that. All of these financial statements are really important. It's a big kind of pet peeve of mine, but financial literacy in general is a challenge for a lot of people. They weren't really taught these things in school. And no. then you buy a business and all of a sudden it can be kind of a heavy weight on your shoulders. Like, oh, and people avoid the financials, I find a lot of times because they really don't understand them and there's a lot of fear. So when you're with a coach, the idea of you being able to understand your financials is huge. A lot of times when people don't know what they're doing, they're not really confident when it comes to their financials. I say, okay, these are guesstimate financials right now, right? You're giving it your best guess. But what we want to turn them into is really actionable financials so that you could use them to make better decisions for your business, for your team. And they're just so powerful. And a coach can definitely help you with that. You know, as cars become more advanced, manufacturers are getting sole access to important vehicle data while independent repair shops and vehicle owners are increasingly locked out from accessing vital repair data. But who owns the data? The vehicle owner or the manufacturer? When it comes to vehicle repair, the fight to secure data access for vehicle owners and their chosen independent repair facilities continues. U.S. Representative Bobby L. Rush introduced the Right to Equitable and Professional Auto Industry Repair acronym REPAIR, R-E-P-A-I-R, Act to the U.S. House on February 3, 2022. The bill is aimed at giving small, independent repair shops the same kind of data access that licensed vehicle dealerships already receive. 
Americans should not be forced to bring their cars to more costly and inconvenient dealerships for repairs when independent auto repair shops are often cheaper and far more accessible, said Rep. Rush. But as cars become more advanced, manufacturers are getting sole access to important vehicle data while independent repair shops are increasingly locked out. The right to repair legislation should protect a pro-consumer and competitive motor vehicle repair market, provide independent repair shops with the rights to critical information, tools, and equipment needed to repair modern cars and trucks. The right to repair legislation should task the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration with developing cybersecurity standards and guidelines to protect vehicle data and systems when repair and maintenance data is accessed by vehicle owners. Please join the fight and help support Right to Repair by completing the form at www.autoadvocacy.org NAPA, which sends a letter to your member of Congress today. Right to Repair legislation protects your access to vehicle data and scan tools. This is critically important for the automotive heavy-duty paint and body industries. AutoCareAdvocacy.org NAPA. We always like to talk about what I call the liar's number. So when we get at an association meeting like this trade show and shop owners get together over a beer and they go, what'd you do oh, yeah. last year, Carm? Oh, I did $5 million. Man, I want to do $5 million. What'd you do? I did a million dollars. And we're talking this gross number. That's irrelevant. What we should be talking about is gross profit mm-hmm. because the guy who did a million dollars in sales at the correct gross profit made more money than the $5 million guy at the wrong gross profit. So we need to get off of this. I need to but do But why don't you million. talk net profit, not gross? Well, because that is so arbitrary. Okay. Because of what's in the in the expense line. Right. right. So if you want to buy a helicopter and a boat to land it on, I have no control over that, right? Yeah. But if we have the correct gross profit and I go through your expenses yeah. and I don't see the helicopter and the boat and 14 motorcycles and all of those things and there's no net profit, it mm-hmm. goes right back to gross profit. But if the gross profit's correct and you just have your normal, what I'm going to, I hate this word normal, right? The expenses, you're going to have net profit. When we talk to employees, staff, service writers, we can't talk net profit because you can change that. And if you want to take every dime out of the business and spend it, that's not your employee's fault. The reason you're listening to this show is because I have the passion to help people who want to hire a coach, hear from two coaches so that you can get the mindset ready to go even though you're not willing to ask a peer, tell me about your coaching experience or relationship. There's a lot of you out there that need to hire a coach and have no one to go to except to make that very nervous call or go on one of the coach's websites, maybe put in a request for a demo or a whatever, you know, a consultation for an hour to get that animosity away from you by hearing from Marianne and Malin. Review of the PL, I think you both agree the financials and get that house in order. What would be the next? Let me label this as a quick fix that you guys would be. Are you doing a bunch of things in parallel? You're not just say you're not only doing the, the the financials, but you're doing other things. What would be another other thing as a quick fix? Yeah, well, an assessment is a good place to start. And a lot of people feel when they hear the word assessment is, oh no, I'm going to put all this information in. They're assessing my business. The way I look at the assessment that I send them is really self-assess. That's what they're doing. They're going through the different pillars is what I call them in their business, the sales, the marketing, the people pillar, the financials, and the operations and the tech. So there's five of them. And they're going through and they're looking at those and they're answering the questions to see, okay, where do I fit in on this? And they might find 
that there's things that they are doing well in their business, right? But there's other areas that maybe they're looking at it and going, okay, this is an area that I really haven't been focusing on. I don't know enough about this. So they're self-assessing. And I find that when you're talking to someone about change, when they go in and they self-assess, they're a lot of times pretty accurate on where they think they need the help. Instead of going in and really critiquing someone right away, because there are people that are doing good things. They're reaching milestones in their business. And I'm just going to twist back a little bit to the financials. A good point that Malin brought up is a shop owner can be looking at another shop, right? And they're just like doing a comparison to like fictitious numbers. But the idea is one shop, just as an example, is paying for benefits for their team. Another shop isn't doing that yet. So that's another cost. Then when you look at the profits at the bottom, you say, okay, what's the net profit? Well, this shop may be doing higher, but they're not paying any benefits. So maybe that's one of their goals. Maybe that's something that they want to be able to do. So the whole idea in this assessment is for them to go in and say, how am I doing in all these areas? What am I good at? And what do I need help with? I would imagine that a shop owner, potential new client or current new client that has to go through an assessment could be like doing a root canal. I guess if I was a coach, I would say, wow, I got this back in two weeks. That's pretty good. And then 30 days later, hey, you haven't done that assessment yet. (laughs) That sends signals, right? Right. One of the first things I ask an owner. So Carm, you call me up and say, I want to be in a coaching program. I have a questionnaire I send you. And that's kind of the self-assessment. Who are your employees? What's their strong points? What's their weak points? All those. But one of those questions is write your job description as the owner. That's usually like the root canal. I get it back. It's either do everything, which is wrong, or I get nothing. Come in early, leave late. Right. One of the things I talk to people about all the time when I'm looking at, is this a good coaching candidate? Carm, can you leave your business for 30 days and not have it suffer in any way? Your sales don't go down. Your profit doesn't go down. Your customers are happy. And if the answer is no, that's where we need to start of building the right crew so you don't have to be What's there. so cool is you're kind of building an expectation too. Exactly. That, oh, wow. This new guy, Malin, I just hired says that I may be able to take a 30-day vacation, hon. Let's go to Italy. That's but, a big thing now, I hear. But it may take a year to do that because we might have to replace staff. We have to put process and procedures in place. We have to allow our employees to make decisions that we've never allowed them to make before. Nothing simple here. In my interview process, yes, I have a questionnaire I want them to fill out. And then we talk. I'm trying to see if they're doing this because their ego wants them to or because they really want to fix the business. And there is a group of people out there that say, hey, all my buddies who are successful, I'm going to use the air quotes here, because you don't know if they're successful unless you scrutinize their P&Ls and know what they're doing net profit wise. They have coaches. This goes back to the F-150, the new one that's in the driveway the boat at the lake, all the stuff that looks so good from the outside, lifestyle, fear of missing out, all that stuff that's going on. And the business is in chaos. Or they're not taking a paycheck. And they're not cashing that. Right. Exactly. And their team sees that, yet they don't have the profits. So it could be misleading the team as well. Operations, uh, standard operating procedures, all of that stuff, are those seriously lacking in coaching clients that you get? It's lacking in our industry. Yeah, yeah, as a whole, yeah. It's something we talk about. If the person tells me I don't want to be here every day, I want to sell the business, then we need to SOPs, we need operating procedures, we need 
to where I can hire somebody to do payroll. It doesn't have to be you. And it's difficult to do. That locks most people up. How do I do that? Yeah. Just write down every step as you do it and then hand it to somebody who doesn't know how to do it. Ask them to do it. If they can do it, you got a good SOP. Do you ever get a potential client? You say, hey, so why, why coaching? Why me? Well, I've been negotiating with a guy to buy my business and I told him I wanted a million dollars and he took my box of receipts and the marginal profit and loss statement that I think I had made from maybe a QuickBooks thing and he offered me 250. He said he'd love to pay me a million dollars, but he can't. He said the bank won't even help him do that because they had to see what the numbers look like. And he says he can't pay a million dollars back in five years based on how the business is operating. Mailing, Marianne, can you help me understand what the hell he's telling me? It was funny because you said about the P&Ls, right? I went into a guy's shop. He was struggling and I asked for P&Ls and he opened a desk drawer and he pulled out a stack that was about 18 inches high, manila envelopes. He paid an accountant to make P&Ls for him, right? Every one of those was sealed. Never looked. Two years worth of P&Ls had never been opened. Well, he has guesstimate financials. Yeah, they're wild ass guesses. I have money in the bank. Is that a denial? I just don't want to open. I don't want to look. What is that? I think it's a lack of understanding. It's confusing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I'm going to share my own. I am the poster child for our industry, right? I was a technician. I was an okay technician. I got mouthy one night and complained about the service writer. I was the service writer the next day. <laughs> I didn't know anything. I didn't know what gross profit was. Yeah. Very typical. I could talk to people. I didn't know what sales were. And I realized very quickly, I had to learn the money side of this. And the owner of the business wouldn't go to these classes. I went. And this is what drives us, right? So I come back from this class where we determined what our hourly rate should be based on our financial data. And I told the boss, we need to adjust our hourly rate. So this is a typical coaching scenario, right? We need mm -hmm. to adjust our hourly rate. You can't do that. We'll lose all our clients. We can't raise it. I saw the math and I saw where we had to. I don't recommend this, by the way. I just went ahead and raised the hourly rate for every estimate I wrote. But the canned stuff that he could check on, I couldn't change. But everything else I raised the pricing on. And since I was doing 99% of the sales, after about 60 days, he comes to me. I will never forget it. He had this look in his face. He goes, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You're doing something different. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I said, okay, why do you think I am? He goes, <laughs> there's more money in the yeah, bank. Right. So he goes, I know you're doing something different. And I said, well, remember our conversation about raising the hourly rate? Yeah, I raised it on everything I wrote an estimate on. The only thing I didn't raise on was the can jobs in the computer because you could see that. How much did you go up? I said, the number that I talked to you about, you can't do that. But wait, I did. You're already telling me there's money in the bank. Customers, we haven't lost customers. And he kind of looked at me and goes, well, keep doing it. But that's a very almost typical scenario with a client is we need to change this. I can't do that. We, my grandpa didn't do it this way. My dad didn't do it this way. You don't know. My state won't let me do this. My county won't let me do this. Yeah, every excuse in the world. Yeah. What you're saying is, okay, raise your labor rate. Now, that seems very simple. You change it in your software management system. Some states, you have to post it. It's a simple process, but it's not easy because there's a lot of emotional mm -hmm. money fear, stories fear, fear and things yeah. that are attached to that. So it's not easy for people. And a coach can help you get through that. Yeah. I got to point out something. I don't know how far into this episode we are, but I asked Malin and I asked Marianne, what would be some of the first things that you do to work with a new client? I don't know how long into this episode, and we are now talking about labor rates. And if you look <laughs> at what junk is going on in certain social media platforms, they say, why hire a coach? Because the first thing they're going to do to help you fix their business and get all that money from you is to tell you to raise your labor rate and nothing but, and that's it. 
And when I read that, I cringe. I know it's not true, but we're saying that and we're affecting people's lives and businesses. So just raise your labor rate and nothing good happens for the industry, for the company, for the people, for the wages or nothing. So my point to you is if you're still with us and thank you for being here and wanting to absorb all this information, we didn't talk about raising labor rates on day one, minute one, like everybody thinks that's all a coach does. The first thing by looking at the financial data is I would say 80% of the people that I do the analysis of their financial data, data is we don't need to raise your hourly rate. It's productivity that's your downfall. Your true flat rate, your effective labor rate. So I check your labor rate. Let's just use arbitrary numbers, right? Carm, you're at $150 an hour. And I do the math based on your expenses and you need to be at $75 an hour. So we don't need to raise your hourly rate, but we now we know it's a factual number, right? But when I check your true effective labor rate, you're only charging $60 an hour. So you're losing $15 for every hour you sell. So raising your hourly rate will effectively help that, but it's not going to solve your problem. And here's the biggest problem with most people is they're trying to fix the wrong thing. We had this conversation in our communication class. Everybody thinks they need more cars. I need more cars. I need more cars. I need more cars. Your two-man shop, you're working on 260 cars a month. You don't need more cars. You need a higher average repair order. You need to be better at sales. So a coach is going to look at all of this. And yes, they may tell you to raise your hourly rate, but they're probably going to tell you your productivity is not where it needs to be. Your effective labor rate, which is tied to productivity, right, Mm -hmm. is not where it needs to be. So we have six people doing the work of three. So why don't we get rid of the three bottom technicians? And make the three good ones do all the work we're doing now. And that's a true example. I went in to coach somebody. Sure, sure. And you know what he told me? These people are my friends. I can't fire them. It's like, hey, you're losing money every month because you're paying your friends to do nothing. Okay, so you're hard selling your client that doesn't want to do this because they're your friends. What happened? Did you fire the client because you knew that was the exact thing he needed to do? Did you hang in there? Did you finally sell him? Did he buy in? He's still got the same crew and the same number of people with the same financial problems today. And this was 10 or 15 years ago. Okay. All right. But I did not fire him. I said, it's very clear to me what we need to do. Did you drive sales to bring in enough work for them? Well, here's the problem. He had six technicians doing the work of three. He had three tech service writers trying to process the cars to keep six people busy. Their average repair order was like 0.9 hours. They weren't selling. They were working on too many cars. They had too much shuffling. I mean, it's... They were building widgets. Right. A coach really wants you to help you thrive, not just survive. And there's a lot of people out there that are surviving. And that's really, if you're ready to do that, go to that next level and really thrive. Profits are talked about a lot in the industry. And the reason why they're talked about is because they're numbers and they're measurable. And it's an easy thing to look and compare and have a benchmark on that. Something that doesn't get talked about and numbers don't show this is I call it your business being sustainable. If you do these numbers and you increase your numbers, but you are burning yourself out as an owner, like Malin had said before, you can't leave your shop, then your shop isn't sustainable. And those numbers are, how important are those numbers if you get sick or you're missing out on time with your family or your family's always asking you, why you're not around. You have to make that decision. So for me, when I'm working with someone, to me, the thing is we're going to be working on, yes, the shop definitely has to be profitable, 
but it also has to be sustainable. And here's another thing. How many shop owners will call and say, I don't like my business anymore. It's not enjoyable anymore. And that's not why they went into doing this. They went in with this grit and this drive, and they really wanted to be a resource to their community, and they loved what they do, and it's not like that anymore. So I think all of those, they're not talked about enough, but I think all of them are equally important. So they lost their passion. Those things are soft skills, what I call soft skills. They're not numbers. It's, do you like going to work in the morning? Do you have the time you need to do the things for your family? And that's why I ask, what's your long-term goal? To me, a perfect answer is not have to ever go to work again as an owner. I could help you do that, but you're going to have to do the tough stuff. You said some great words, grit, grind. When do you see the client when you start talking about, do you you remember the twinkle in your eye when you wanted to become a mechanic and own a business? Can you look back and think of the investment of time the amount you put into the latest, neatest new piece of equipment and scan tool that you had to have, the property that you ended up buying, the fact that you had this incredible dream that you were going to be self-sustaining and have a lot of money and pay for college and weddings and spend time with the family. And none of that is coming true. Is that another reason why you called me? When does that breakthrough happen? I mean, when it happens, you probably have a client for life. I'm just guessing because I don't think we are thinking enough as an industry about our return on effort, return on time. And that's what you're there to help them with. I think our industry has a a very basic problem. Most of the people in our industry, their worth to themselves is I fix cars and they can't see them getting a repayment without fixing cars. It's never been calculated. Right. So when they're not fixing cars, their self-esteem is damaged. That's their identity. Right. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for, identity. And so it's kind of like this. Think about this. When you go someplace and you ask, hey, Carm, what do you do for a living? They're always, I fix cars. They don't say I own a business. They don't say I'm an entrepreneurial person. They say, I fix cars. And they're proud of that. And don't get me wrong, you should be. But I remember when I was a young technician and your hands are scarred and they're dirty. This was BG, folks, before gloves, right? (laughs) Your hands are scarred. You're bleeding from every knuckle sometimes. And people would ask you what you do. I was embarrassed about my hands because... Or you you were embarrassed or you were proud? No, I was embarrassed. You were, okay. Because I'm with people who are wearing suits and ties, right? Okay, right. And I'm looking around going, I'm not worthy. And then you talk to these people and you realize... They can't do what you do. And without you, they don't do what they do. And it took me about a year to go, I'm proud of who I am, that I can fix things with my hands. I've worked since I was 12 years old. And this is what my daughter calls a boomer story. I've worked since I was 12 years old. In all my years of working from 12 to where I am at today, I've been unemployed for four hours because I can work with my hands. I can always find a job. That's something to be proud of, but it's not just about fixing things now. You have to run your business. Sustainable is a great word. The legacy. And you mentioned about what if they get sick. It's not if, it's when. Or something in their family happens that needs them and pulls them away. Like you had talked about, Carm, it pulls them away. Those are the nuances in each and every business stage of life, stage of business. And we have to take all of that into consideration. Malin asks a very similar question, but asking a client, what do you want? Let's make this customizable. I think so many people out there think 
that they have, maybe it's ego that gets in the way, but they see what other people are doing. And it's like, oh, I guess I have to do that. But is that really what you want? My goal with a client is to design and have them design and build the business that works for them. We're all in different stages of life and they may come to me in different stages of business too. So the idea is to customize it so that it works for them. Great stuff. I'm loving this conversation. Would you fire a client? What would be the circumstances around fire a client? I mean, do they fire themselves because they can't play in this sandbox you set up? Or do you ultimately say, listen, I just think you're investing money with me and you're not getting any value from it. How does that well, work? Well, at that point, it's not an investment of money because there's no return. Okay, fine. And when they repeatedly excuse, right? Excuse if they're excuse. Then I have that conversation with them. I say, okay, I think it's decision-making time. You're not getting a return on the money you're spending. For example, if they miss a lot of phone calls, I mean, it's going to happen. Things happen. You're going to miss a few of those coaching calls. But if they miss a lot of them, well, that messes my schedule up too. I look at the whole picture. Are we gaining ground? Are we growing? If the owner doesn't want to talk to me, is there a manager that we can fill in their place? And then we just have the same conversation I have with customers of cars. It's decision-making time. Are we going to fix this car or are we going to dance around the fact that it needs major work? Are we going to fix the business? Are we going to work on the business? Or do you not want to be there? But you don't appoint anybody to be there. So let's stop wasting your money. I'm here to help you. Malin, how many people that you have that conversation with say, thanks for the wake-up call. I'm sticking around. I got to do this stuff. That was part two. Okay. Is they go, okay, that's fine. And see, this is why I think that I'm going to state my personal opinion. It's not the opinion of a Remarkable Results Radio, is that a coach should not have to have a contract to be of value to you. Because if you come to me and said, Malin, I want to take a break for six months, I'm good with that. But what they'll do is say, okay, let's take a break. And 30, 60 days later, they call me back and go, I miss you. I need to fix this. I'm ready now. Come in and yell at me. And I don't yell at people. I just wear them out. I'm just water <laughs> over granite, man. I'm going to talk about it. The lady that was selling her business who didn't do anything for five years, yeah. her favorite answer to me is everything I asked her to do was, hell no, I'm not doing that. We had done all the financial data just a couple of years into the program, and it was time for her to raise her hourly rate. So I said, I think it's time for us to raise her hourly rate. A couple bucks. It wasn't a lot, but you know, it needed to be raised. And it was, hell no. I just raised my rate five years ago. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> and I said, okay, just know we're going to talk about it. So every week, did you think about your hourly rate? No. So then one day we get on the phone. She goes, you know what I decided to do? No, I've decided we need to raise our hourly rate. I said, that's a great idea. I'm glad you thought of that. Why? <laughs> and she chuckled and she goes, you know why? I said, no, I don't remember why. Because you told me to. Yeah, it's planting the seed. And they have to think it through and experience and they're in that thought process. It has to be good here. It has to feel right. Yeah, It it, absolutely has to feel right. When you're hiring a coach, because you were talking about like when you have to fire someone or what happens if you end up parting ways or how does that happen? And I think a lot of it for me, what happens is on that call, those first calls in the beginning, you're really trying to see if you're a right fit and how invested this person is in the idea of coaching. Because I look at coaching, my philosophy or thinking of it, and I agree with Malin that there shouldn't be long-term contracts. People should be able to leave if they don't see the value or they're not getting it or it's not a right fit, they should be able to move on. But besides that, it's about three things. And one of them is evolution. 
we all grow. We all learn. We're not exactly the same as we were 10 years ago. So the coach is there to help you evolve, to help you evolve as an owner, to help your business evolve. And they're there to help you create an environment that you can succeed in. That's what they're there to help you with. The other thing that they help you with is accountability. Because a lot of time owners, that's it. You're the owner and you don't have other people to hold you accountable. We could say our team is holding us accountable because we made promises or our numbers. But when I'm talking about you don't have a boss like you did when you worked for someone else. So now you have someone that can hold you accountable when you say you're going to do something or implement. They're there to do that. And then the last thing is support. You may be bouncing ideas off or with that support too. What I find a lot of times is challenges will come up. The ones that we mentioned and talked about, maybe an illness or something is going on in the personal life. And I think support is a huge thing because I think what coaches can do is help you not only with the day-to-day and how to get you more out of the business, but challenges are going to come up. And that's just part of business and it's part of life. And I think what coaching can really provide is helping you how to navigate through those. That's an amazing skill to have because life happens to all of us. The coaches have, or they should have, a 30,000 foot view of your business. You see your business. I call it the 30 foot view. We see a dozen or more businesses a week in our conversations. What you're struggling with, everybody may be struggling with, but you don't know that. So you think you've screwed something up. And it's like, no, this is this is happening because of this. Just take a deep breath. Let's think about this differently. I think the 30,000 foot view is lacking for most small businesses in general. It goes back to, I um, just drew a blank on the name of the book with the lady who's the cake maker, the habits of highly effective people, I think, Stephen Covey. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, Michelle, uh, right, the pie the, maker. The pie yeah. maker, what, yeah. yeah. Is that we're so busy fixing cars, we don't have time to look at the big picture of the business. You're not talking about the e-myth, right? Yeah, that's it. I'm the sorry, e-myth. the e-myth. Yeah. You know, when you're trying to think of the name, your mind oh, goes I'm totally with you, baby. Yeah. When you get somebody that looks at it from the 30,000 foot view and maybe has seen several dozen repair shops and can say, you're not abnormal, you're normal. Everybody's going through that right yeah. now. Part supply. Your mm-hmm. part suppliers have not ganged up on you. It's everybody has this problem. And they can calm you down a little bit, make you look at it differently. And when I got stuck at home during COVID talking to clients, we talked a lot about, oh my gosh, the end of the world, right? I mean, everybody panicked. What am I going to do? And the conversations I had with them, okay, take a deep breath. You have money in the bank. I know you have money in the bank because I see your financials. You have money in the bank. Financially, we're secure. What do we need to do is we need to become that essential worker, right? So we need to find a way of letting our clients know that we're here to help them through this tough time. Not that we're having tough times. They're having tough times. So how do we fix that? The people that could take a deep breath and calm down made good decisions. Everybody else did panic things. They panic marketed. They let people go. They did all kinds of crazy stuff. And again, that's where having somebody not, I call it not emotionally attached to the business. Yeah. And when I help you hire somebody, Carm, I'm not emotional about it. I don't need this person. Whereas you're desperate for them. I'll tell you, hey, this person's got a lot of arrogance in their conversation with me. I'm not sure he's going to be a right fit for your team. The culture is the big word, right? Yeah, the yeah. culture is different. And they're going, well, I think he's the automotive God. Well, he might be the automotive God. But, but he's he'll gonna make be a, your business go to hell. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he's going to be a tornado in a trailer park, right? <laughs> and it's that unemotional attachment. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard not to be emotional about the business. Yeah. 
One quick question, and this is this will be my last question. We talked about labor rates earlier. What's your recommendation on changing and increasing labor rates in a discipline? I mean, is it is it quarterly? Is it yearly? Do you do an assessment of your business? Do you look at KPIs? Look at where gross margin is? What would you recommend? D, all of the above. Okay. You have to do a yearly review, I think is probably uh, smart. Actually, what I do for our clients is I look at their hourly rate every P&L and their effective hourly rate. Mm-hmm. And we actually look at effective labor rate and productivity every week. Right. But oh, once a quarter is a good number because you get three, six, nine months of history. I look at what it's supposed to be based on expenses, have expenses change. But here's the difference. See, when I'm doing hourly rate now, I have a line item typically right under rent that says inflation. And so let's say the news tells me inflation is 5%. I take their total expenses, add 5% to it, and I put it as a line item expense and see what it does to their hourly rate. And most cases, it doesn't change it, but it makes the gap different from what it needs to be and what they're charging to what their effective labor rate is. Because if everything that you buy goes up 9% or 8% or whatever it is, you have to increase your sales stat to offset the inflation rate. And nobody thinks about that. You brought up something. I'm sorry. I have to talk about this because this, this irritates me to no end. Stop buying tools. Buy the right tools, but don't buy them out of emotion. Toys. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter if you have the world's largest toolbox. Buy the tools that make the shop money. Learn how to charge for them. And by the way, if I buy a line machine that costs me $60,000, should my hourly rate change? The whole service advisor counter has to change. Right. See, we emotionally buy. That's why there's no net profit. Right. And here's an argument. I'll let Marianne talk. I'm sorry. Impulse emotion. Right. Yes. But here's the thing. Husband and wife. This is a tough place for a coach, right? Got a wife over here. Got a husband over here. The husband says, I'm working my tail off and I'm making all the money in the shop. What are you doing with all my money? Well, she's paying the bills, right? And then as a coach, I ask this question. How much are you paying Snap-on? How much are you paying Mac? How much are you paying the tool guys? How much is this? What was the newest piece of equipment that you bought? Maybe you didn't have to have today. And the wife's gone, thank you. Because the bills are going up, but we're not increasing revenue. Yeah, the husband's a runaway right. train. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's almost October, right? I don't even know what month we're in. It's, it's yeah. almost October. In a few days. Last right. quarter. Of all the listeners out there, how many of you have planned out your equipment purchases for 2024? Maybe, like Marianne said, you want to provide benefits. How much are those going to cost? You've taken the 2023 expenses year to date. You added those into it and you look at what your hourly rate does next year. And can we afford to buy that piece of equipment, those tools? Do we need to change our labor rate? Do we need to change our productivity? Do we need to get rid of a weak technician? Carm, I'll be honest with you. I'm asking my clients to raise their labor rate every quarter, two to 3%. And if you do it every quarter, two to 3%, you'll keep up with inflation throughout the year. And you brought up a good point. The psychology of raising your hourly rate. If you go to your service writers and say, hey, Carm, we raised our hourly rate $5. They blow up. Oh my gosh, I'm already having a hard time selling. I don't think I can sell for that. But if you go up a dollar and a half or $2, it's no big deal. Don't go $50 at the end of the year. Go $10 every quarter if you need to go up that much. But before you raise it, check it. Make sure you're doing the right things for the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. We do. I'm a shop owner as well, and we do the same thing in our shop. We go up, we'll review everything. And if we're going to make changes, it's quarterly. Got it. And it's easier just for everyone at the front counter to work that. It's not like this big discussion. 
And everyone knows today that things are going up. We see it in in our lives as well. It's the best time to really go in now if you haven't done it and assess and then go in and do that if you need to do that because the numbers tell you to do. And I think part of your hourly rate, this is kind of a passionate thing for me, could you tell? Part of our hourly rate is you need to build in your savings accounts, operational savings, equipment savings, buying your property savings. Sustainable expense savings in case we get another crisis like COVID. Yeah, yeah. Planning for the future. And something that you brought up about a spouse. So say, for example, you do have someone working in the business. I've talked to a lot of people that their spouse, their sister, their girlfriend, whoever, their partner, significant other has a full-time job, but they're actually helping them with their book work. They're helping them with maybe a little bit of the marketing or giving them suggestions for customer service. They actually have someone who's helping them with all of these things that isn't even on the payroll. Right. So how do you turn around if you were to hire for that position, write up a job description and then turn around and go, oh, by the way, there's no pay. How do you fit that into your P&L? And that's a huge problem. What we also have a lot of shop owners that are surviving today because their wives have really good jobs. And they're paying for that spouse's health care, which means I don't have to have health care for anybody else. Why have that expense? Right. God, we could go on and we can go into this well, incredible all of this should spiral. benefit your team as well. If you're looking yeah. to grow your business yeah. and be more profitable because that came up in the conversation, the team should benefit from that as well. Absolutely. Hey, if I didn't draw this to an end, we'd have a four-hour podcast here because you guys did great. I love how you played off on each other. I have other. to teach a class. Yeah, I know you do. Okay, Marianne Croce, smallbizvantage.com. Thank you so much for being here. And all the contributions you've made to the show. Malin, what can I say? It's been eight years that we've known each other. And every time Seems I- Seems like a thousand. It, every time I ask you to come on, you say when, where, and what, and why, and how, and who. <laughs> Thank you. One last thing I want to close with. Make sure that you can deal with the personality of your coach. Yeah. Make sure that you have a fit there because yeah, it doesn't fit. work. Yeah. Right. We should be able to have a good time and talk a little bit and joke each other a little bit and get serious when it's necessary. But if you don't want to talk to your coach, it's the wrong coach. Got it. Great way to summarize it. ESISeminars.com. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.